Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. And, uh, you know, Julie, neither of us are really math people. No. Like, we don't do a lot of recreational math. Yeah, and we know I'm a math phobe. I just start to I say math and I start to get sweaty palms. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, but 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 we both enjoy music, different types of music. I yeah. think. I mean, there's some crossover. It's not, com- you know, it's kind of like a Venn uh, diagram, I would imagine. But um, see, there you go. Yeah. With the math. Yeah. Oh goodness. Yeah. Goodness me. Because this is exactly what we're talking about: math and music, um, kind of lining up with each other, um, describing each other, and we end up with this this idea in our head, especially. Uh, those of us who are not math people mm-hmm. and enjoy music but don't have musical training per se, right? Um, we end up looking back at it and we're, we see mathematicians who are really good at music or musicians that have mathematical background and we start right. saying, whoa, what's going on here? This seems to be the case, right? Right. And I think you made the great analogy yesterday like, oh, actors. Yeah. Crazy. All actors are crazy. Right. It's like if you if you don't have an acting background, you don't know many actors. You're not crazy. You don't know many crazy people. You see crazy actors, and it's easy to make that generality that, wow, they must be, all actors must be crazy, and their craziness must make them great actors. Or maybe their acting makes them great crazies. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. it's a, yeah. That's the uh, dog wagging the tail there. Um, so, yeah, we're going to try to look at this idea of math and music being intertwined and perhaps being inherent and um, and we'll try to to see if there really is a correlation between mathematics and musicians. Yeah. Now, just to start off, like some famous mathematicians and either slash musicians or famous mm-hmm. musicians that have a mathematical background. Um, on one hand, we have Einstein himself. Yeah. Violinist. Who, who was a violinist. Yeah. Um, Brian May of Queen was yes. an astrophysicist, uh, which I've always found kind of interesting. Uh, I don't know if it really... I, I haven't listened to Queen in a long time, but I don't remember there being much astrophysics uh, injected into the uh, the songs that you know of. Yeah, yeah. maybe it was all happening just with the mu- just with the the guitars, you know. Cause, yeah, uh, f- and he he has returned to this discipline. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah uh, there have been some interesting articles about it in recent years. Mm-hmm. Um, then we have uh, people like uh, Dan Snaith, aka Caribou. Um, who has a mathematics background, though I've seen interviews where he's very dismissive of the idea that there's any really connectivity between the two. Uh, I think it was like a, uh, was it an interview on data transmission? I can't remember. Or maybe it was linked to on data transmission, um, that code out UK where, uh, someone asked him about it and caribou was like, ah, you know, math, math, math. Yeah. Math, math, different things. Yeah. Uh, so it was kind of disappointing. <laughs> you know, you could imagine the, the interviewers, you know, kind of slumping down the, you know, uh, when he uh, got that answer. But other ones, uh, Art Garfunkel well, had a yeah. master's degree in mathematics, which I was not aware of. I was I was surprised by that one. Yeah. I mean, certainly his hair seems to indicate some sort of like science lab type situation. But but no. He, he, <laughs> and again, I can't think of any Garfunkel songs where where I have listened to him and been like, wow, Bright Eyes is such a mathematical song. You know? It, yeah. yeah. I, and again, maybe I'm, I'm missing the, the finer corners of his uh, discography. But yeah. Um, and then, uh, oh, another one that, that comes to mind, uh, is, uh, a chap by the name of Rupert Way, who, uh, DJs under the name DJ Irk. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually interviewed him for the, uh, the blogs a little while back. And, uh, he, um, has like a PhD in, uh, some type, type of mathematics that involve dynamic systems or something. It kind of, it just goes right over my head when, uh, 
when he told me what it was. But uh, but yeah, and these are just a few. There. Do, yeah. do you have any that I'm leaving off? No, no. That that sounds. Um, those are some of the big ones, I think. And I was I was actually revisiting your interview with him, and and he was talking. You were asking him about the um, connection between math and music, and. I think he was saying that he doesn't, uh, it doesn't really help any more than it does with, with, he says, say a, a round trip, uh, a trip around the supermarket. I don't, I've obviously taken that out of context. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he did say something about mental agility, good memory, good numeracy, and a lot of determination, he says, are what really counts. And although these are math related, I'm quoting him, they are not math specific. There are lots of overriding instinctive and emotional factors too. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting because, uh, I mean, he's he's sort of saying, yeah, all of this helps, but it does not make you a musician per se because there are some factors that you just can't that don't fit into the mathematical model, so to speak. Right. Yeah. His answer was far more insightful than Caribou's. I found. Yeah. But. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he actually he went on to say some very interesting stuff actually. So if you haven't checked out Robert's blog on that uh, with with DJ Eric, you should definitely check that out. Yeah. Yeah. I'll throw the the link up, but. Uh, but yeah, you end up in, the, in this this situation where the the answer is kind of yeah, kind of yeah, but also nah, not really. Um, <laughs> yeah, and and there's no real firm answer because I mean when you break it down, um, I mean we, we've discussed the in the past like mathematics. What is it? Mm-hmm. Is it a human invention that just is so clever that it describes everything in the universe, or is it? A discovery? Did we find the secret language of the universe and we're so awesome because we found it? Again, right. humans end up looking pretty awesome either way you spin that. But if, uh, but if, but, but either way, you're talking about a system of numbers that can describe everything. So it stands to reason that it would be able to describe music. Right, right. And, and yes, so there are definitely similarities with that because you would ask the same thing about music in a sense, right? Is right. music something that we discovered or is just sort of inherent and in us? Mm-hmm. And then we've talked about even our, our fingers before, right? We've got five fingers on each hand and how that's determined our currency in the way that we count in number systems. And same thing with music. It's, it's determined the way that we have uh, created scales and we've right. created instruments. Yeah, like strings vibrate at a certain frequency, and mm-hmm. you can measure those mathematically. Sound waves uh, can also be described by mathematical equations. Right. Uh, and, and it comes down to, like, scientists of any discipline, they use mathematics to describe the physical world, mm-hmm. a, a changing uh, physical world of movable objects, and uh, they predict the outcome of physical processes. Right. So... <laughs> you know, there's going to be some crossover there. Uh, but then again, an equation is not going to be able to describe a piece of music. And, uh, I mean, there are certain mathematical, Maybe. well, well, you can, there are <laughs> equations that can, can describe some of the mathematical structures that are inherent in music. Okay. But you're not going to be able to like to say, um, yeah, I want to listen to that, uh, um, you know, that con- concerto by, uh, so-and-so, but I don't have time for the full thing. Just send me the, uh, equation. Well, and it's interesting too, because at the, each equation you could interpret in a different way as a musician, Right. But I mean, I so there's that's the part of it that's like, well, okay, here's here's the precise language uh, that you know, and, and again, drawing parallels to math, math has a, a universal precise language, right? Right. But once you know, you give this equation of music to someone, they might perform it in a completely different way, right? Or take liberties with it that you wouldn't necessarily see in math. Uh, but again, again, talking about similarities. Um, both disciplines gravitate towards symmetry, right? You see this mm-hmm. in music all the time. Um, 
Of course, there's there's cacophony, right? <laughs> um, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, noise, music, and, and all that. I mean, that's the thing, too. It's like music. When you're talking about, like, what is music? Yeah, there's some there are certain types of music that are very mathematical sounding. Mm-hmm. And you can break down, uh, you can, you know, apply some some number to the to the numbers to the music theory of it all, and it makes perfect sense. But then you pull out some sort of, uh, like, noise artist where they're using very abstract sounds. Yeah. Music that... Uh, to quote my wife, sounds like someone threw a xylophone uh, down a stairwell. Oh, uh, nice. Then, then it's going to be hard to say, like, oh, well, mathematically, this is what's going on there. Yeah. But then again, you could also make the counter argument that even a chaotic system, um, there's math going on there. I, it, it can you can go back and forth. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now the ancient Greeks, they definitely thought there was there were numbers uh, tied up in music that math and music were were very closely related. Is this a uh, Pyth- uh, Pythagoras's? Oh like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. um, like he was all about the ratios and yeah, yeah, and his his whole like system of uh, of education. Um, they considered music to be a strictly mathematical discipline involving number relationships, ratios, and proportions. And so, if you break it down, it, it would basically be a subdivision to quantitative mathematics in Pythagorean time. Okay. So yeah, harmonic uh, ratios, proportions, central in the Greeks' understanding to. Musical. Okay. Yeah. And so just to back up a little bit to the five tone or the pentatonic scale developed about 3000 years ago in China. And then the uh, Greeks, they have the seven tone scale, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, then we're talking about the 12 tone scale, right? And this is when we're talking about Pythagoras really obsessing on these ratios. And I won't go into the math behind it, but that's how we sort of came up with these, these varying scales. And it wasn't till around, I think, box time. Where they took one of those ratios that was a bit off and, and tinkered with it, and they came up with the final twelve tones. Right. Um, so again, there's there's a system behind there. There's math that's driving the way that we are expressing music, which is pretty interesting. All right. But what exactly is going on in the brain? Right. Yes. Yes. So let's uh, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we will look at math and music in the human mind. This presentation is brought to you by Intel, sponsors of tomorrow. And we're back. Music, brains, yes. math. What's what's happening? What is going on? Yes. Um, so, obviously, scientists have looked at the brain mm-hmm. and analyzed what exactly is going on when we think about music or, or contemplate music versus contemplating math. And... Um, they have uh, scientists have actually looked at brain injuries that suggest uh, a single region in the left hemisphere of the brain gives rise to sequential analytic processing, which is used for both doing algebra and reading music. Mm-hmm. All right. But then on the other hand, there was a 2008 study from the University of Arkansas that used a uh, human information processing survey instrument or a HIPS instrument uh, to measure uh, hemispheric laterality. They used 101 participants, asked them to discuss their prowess in first math and then in music. And their findings suggested that math is a left hemisphere preference and music is a right hemisphere preference. Hmm. So okay, well it's interesting, right? Because yeah. we've we've talked about music before and how it affects the brain, and and we've found that there is no one music center. Um, so it's sort of spread out throughout the brain. Right. But to to know that's obviously engaging in a part of the brain that is that's tracking um, math is interesting. And likewise, there have been a number of studies which sort of say different things about um, exactly how musical education affects one's uh, mathematical prowess. Um, 
Uh, there have been studies that have found that people with musical training outperform people who don't have musical training. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then there's uh, there's stuff like, for instance, there was the uh, Montreal, Montreal Piano Project. All right, half the children were given piano lessons for three years, and after two years, the the piano playing kids uh, were outscoring the others on spatial ability. So the argument here was that, yeah, learning music helps you. Uh, helps you with math because it's reinforcing the brain circuits that power spatial thinking. Right. Which comes in handy not only for knowing what keys match up with what note, but also in geometry, physics, and chemistry. All right. But then uh, opposing that, we have um, um, a study from the University of Toronto. Uh, and this one, this one is pretty cool, uh, too. They took uh, six-year-olds, all right, and uh, they took weekly piano and singing lessons uh, throughout the school year. And they uh, exhibited an average IQ increase of 7.0 uh, point points, wow. right? Okay. The other six-year-olds uh, who took either weekly drama lessons or received no extracurricular uh, lessons displayed an average IQ rise of 4.3 points. Okay. So that's another one that also seems to indicate, all right, they're they're learning music and this is helping them with their scores. But I, I also think, uh, like non-scientifically, that maybe the, the drama kids were just having more fun. <laughs> <laughs> and didn't have as much time to, to really play with the uh, studying all that much. Huh. All right. Yeah, they were too busy emoting. Yeah, yeah, emoting. Yeah, yeah. And then the kids who didn't get anything, they were just sitting around in study hall, like, destroying desks with tiny axes or something. They weren't having new experiences, and we just talked about this. About yeah, How yeah. important it is that you, you need to, to, to have new experiences in order to create new pathways. Yeah, discussed in our Einstein's Brain podcast. That's right. Yeah. All right, so there's there's some basis here for some some waltzing, let's say, between between the brain and music and maths. What I was interested in knowing was whether anybody had ever actually taken a piece of music and said, "Okay, here's 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 some math right here." Okay. Right, because there are certain pieces of music that I hear sometimes, and I'm like, God, I can, I can't. Maybe geometrically, I can see things going on in this music. Um, which is sort of interesting. Now right? You're talking about in your mind, not the um, not the visualizer that pops up. On the- yeah, exactly. Okay. Not in front of my computer with you know I don't okay. have like purple splashes. Um, <laughs> but um, what I found was that there is a book called Metamagical Themas. It's called Questing for the Essence of Mind and Pattern by Douglas Hofstadter, and he actually looked at Chopin's music and Bach's as well. But he said uh, Chopin's music is filled to the brim, I'm quoting, with algebraic tricks of cross rhythm. A famous example is in his iconoclastic waltz, Opus 42 in A-flat major, written in 1840. In this waltz, the bass line follows the usual oom-pa-pa convention of the waltz. I don't know if I... Oom-pa-pa, oom-pa-pa. Yeah, nice, yeah. Okay. Okay. But the melody of the first section completely counters this threeness. It's sixth six eighth notes instead of being broken up into three pairs aligned with the left hand bounces while playing form two triplets the initial notes of the successive triplets are to be clearly emphasized and prolonged thus creating a higher level melody abstracted out of the quietly rippling right hand yeah i think i'm gonna have to hear an example to put that together yes yes and he's saying that uh this melody is composed of two notes per measure beating regularly against three notes of a waltzing bass and he says it's a marvelous trompe orière effect, <laughs> which uh, which means the oral equivalent to an optical illusion, basically. Okay. So let's take a, a quick listen to uh, this waltz, Opus 42, in A-flat major. I don't know. Did you hear it? 
Um, yeah, I think I, I, I can I can get a sense of some of that coming together. I definitely got the um papa. Yeah. Oompa. Yes. So that's one example where someone has actually tried to map this, which is kind of interesting. And um, there was another example that I found by mathematician Hans Straub, and he talks about modal jazz. And the reason I re- wanted to look into this is because... Now, what is modal jazz? Modal jazz is, is, uh, is someone like uh, what's it, uh, Miles Davis. Okay. Miles Davis uh, is usually uh, attributed to be the person that, that sort of created modal jazz or popularized it. Um, particularly in the 50s. So this modal jazz is, is said to have a more horizontal structure, whereas traditional jazz is structured more vertically. And modal just means that he took a bunch of notes and he sort of squished them all in. This is my, my horrible <laughs> understanding of both mathematics and um, and music theory. Um, so It just he, seems weird that jazz would, like I thought jazz was free-flowing, man. I thought... You can't put math on jazz. Jazz has its own rhythm. Jazz is going to do its own thing. Well, that's the incredible thing. That's why I I love Miles Davis is because it does seem like there's a lot of um, sort of off off the cuff playing. Right. Mm -hmm. But I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that they're taking some some very um, concentric like rhythms and then they're playing off of that. Okay. So what you might hear, which sounds sort of like, oh, wow, man, that, that cat is just going nuts on mm-hmm. the saxophone. Um, they are, but but they're doing it in the sort of loops, um, these horizontal loops, and they're not doing a lot of key changes. So let me try to okay. sort talk of like through if, that. If you had like a really crazy story that, that, that at its heart followed a traditional <laughs> story arc. Even if it involved like aardvarks from Mars in love with each other or something. Yeah, yeah, and everybody knows that that once you start, you know, to to be good at any craft, right? You have to know the absolute basics. You have to master it. And um, you know, Miles Davis is someone who certainly was mm-hmm. a master at what he did. So that gave him the ability to sort of riff off of stuff and um, play with modal notes and and do all these sort of different things that actually changed people's perception of that music okay. itself. So what I thought was interesting about it is that this this guy Hanstrub he talks about the traditional jazz being structured more vertically, which means in this context that traditional jazz impro- improvisations are based on chord progressions and modal jazz on the other hand uh improv- improvisations typically go on for long periods without any chord change so that's what I was talking about earlier and the interest is more turned towards the melodic line uh so it's it's a uh, that's why I thought it was sort of interesting to me because I thought I can see that visually. I can see that in Miles Davis's music. You can see this horizontal spreading. You can see it in Yo-Yo Mom when he does uh, the the box suites. Mm-hmm. Um, you can see it maybe even in like PJ Harvey and like White Chalk. Like that's an album that has sort of like this horizontal spreading. Although you could say there's some <laughs> there's some vertical loops of cacophony in that as well. Uh, but anyway, let's let's just listen to a quick clip from uh, Kind of Blue, Miles Davis. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Now, did you say this is actually your favorite uh, track, your favorite song, favorite album? I mean, the the entire album is my favorite. There's actually not one song on there that I would say is my absolute favorite. I love it as a whole piece. And, um, you know, we've talked about this before and, and getting in the zone. And uh, this is one of those pieces of music that I can listen to. And it does kind of put me into a different state that allows me to think clearer or think at higher levels. Oh, wow. Uh, I think is why I like it. And also, we've talked about this too, uh, like lyrics sometimes bother me when I'm trying to cogitate 
up in my noggin. <laughs> So, you know, that's, that's, that's some of the discovery here where we're seeing the, the music and the math. At least, again, geometrically, I can see it. I don't know if it's the same for other people. But there's a guy named Dave Rusin. He's the associate professor of mathematics at Northern Illinois University. And he really does try to make this correlation between music and math. And uh, he thinks it's important for, for students to better understand math, in fact. Uh, he says mathematics like music embodies certain patterns and ideas which don't translate well into words. True yeah, yes, as we found out. True that. Yeah. And <laughs> uh, as you listener have found out, uh, we can feel them, see them, understand them, but only after we have really worked to lift them off the paper and into our minds. Only after we've tried to see where they come from. Only after considerable practice with the minutiae, gradually adding the trills. Uh, do we have the full spirit of the idea? Mathematics, like music, is a human adventure. People create and discover it. They try to then share it and enjoy it. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I definitely found that to be the case with both music and mathematics. Because on one hand, I, I love um, certain genres of music. And I'll, I'll, you know, I'll listen to it all the time. Mm-hmm. But I'm not necessarily really good at describing what's great about it. Like, if, if I'm, like, you know, talking to a friend, I'm like, oh, you got to listen to this new mix by so-and-so. And they might be like, well, what's awesome about it? And I may be a little stumped for words, you know, unless I'm, yeah. I have some time to prep. Uh, likewise with mathematics, I was, um, I, I, the last week I was working on, uh, an article about number theory. Mm-hmm. And like number theory, especially when writing for a general audience and a, you know, non-math audience, mm-hmm. it's, it, it quickly becomes a conversation that cannot be really held in English, but needs to be held, or right. any language, right. but needs to be held in math. You know, it needs to be held with numerals and, and equations. So it, it becomes increasingly difficult to to explain the topic without being the topic. You know? Right, right. And that's why us wily humans, I suppose, turn to math and music to try to express ourselves and our ideas in a, yeah. in a better way. Yeah, because uh, I think I saw it pointed out that both both music and math are like they're self-describing things. Mm-hmm. The music describes itself. The math describes itself. Mm-hmm. And uh and yeah, at the, at the end of the day, it kind of sounds like, you know, defeatist, but they, they both kind of describe themselves uh, the best. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Looking in the mirror. Yeah. I'm trying to change the world. <laughs> I don't know. I was trying to do Michael Jackson there. Oh, that's I all right. I apologize. Wait, you awful. were trying to do like an impersonation? I, I was thinking that math and music were looking at each other in the world and then I, excuse me, looking at each other in the mirror and then I started thinking about that song, Man in the Mirror. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. It's just bad all around. No, no, it wasn't that bad. It was good. You did Thank fine. you. So supportive. Um, we have, uh, speaking of math, though, we have a listener mail here from uh, a listener by the name of Timothy. He says, hello, Stuff to Blow Your Mind crew. I just wanted to say thank you for the unusually deep mathematics podcast. I am a science and philosophy enthusiast, and I just happened to be in the middle of a book called A World Without Time, The Forgotten Legacy of Godel and Einstein, when you aired your podcast. I personally believe that Godel's incompleteness theorems, the existence of non-Euclidean uh, ge- geometries, the necessity of imaginary numbers, and such, all point to math as a formal system invented by humans. It strikes me as something similar to a game, like chess, where simple rules give rise to an incredibly complex overall system. I could imagine a chess-like game being created to model physics. What is interesting to me is that Gödel, like many mathematicians, was of the opposite persuasion. He believed that math exists independent of the human mind. By the way, one of my favorite books is also Godel Escher Bach by Douglas Hofstadter. Hofstadter. Ah, that, yeah. 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 And we uh, spoke that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which I highly recommend to any listeners who also enjoy the math podcast. Thank you for all the hard work you two do. Tim. 
Oh, thanks, Tim. Yeah. So yeah, the uh, we had the the podcast that we referenced earlier. Um, is math a human invention or a human discovery? And uh, yeah, that one was a lot of fun to do. Yeah, it was. And yeah. and uh, again, we we were both a little bit trepidatious about you know entering into the realm of math, but it turns out it was not painful at all. Yeah. And if you want to enter into our realm, then all you have to do is check out Facebook and Twitter. It oh, is not painful either. Not painful at all. Uh, I mean, unless like Twitter's down or something, then it can be a little frustrating. Yeah, but yeah. but no, we're below the mind on both of those, and we update that with all sorts of links to cool stuff we're reading, cool stuff we're writing, cool stuff that we just podcasted about. And we would love to hear from you, so please feel free to drop us a line at blowthemind at howstuffworks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join House to Fork staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow.